I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Millennial Divide, a podcast about navigating the millennial decade. My name is Claire Tonti and I'm the producer on this show and this week I'm joined by Selena and Ellen. We look at the events that occurred in Christchurch on the 15th of March in New Zealand. We also look at some lighter content too, which you can forward to using the timestamps below in the show notes. And if this story brings anything up for you at all, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Tonts. You wanted to start with New Zealand because it's been something that's obviously on our mind, not just in New Zealand, not just in Australia, but around the world. People Mm -hmm. have been talking about that this incident this week. Absolutely. And I guess because the gunman was Australian as well, which is something, so it feels very close to home, New Zealand. It feels like there are cousins there. It does. It's very similar. Absolutely. So on Friday the 15th of March at two mosques in the peaceful New Zealand city of Christchurch, 50 people lost their lives and many more were injured as a gunman using a semi-automatic weapon entered their place of worship and shot men but also women and children at their Friday prayers. The cars of those who were felled are still parked outside each mosque and I sort of feel like that's a symbol of what should have been a really peaceful, ordinary day and a meeting of people of the Muslim faith spanning generations and nationalities. From refugees to high school students to engineers, teachers, soccer players, accountants, parents and children as young as three, they heralded from all over the world from Caesarea, Pakistan, India, Indonesia, Fiji to Afghanistan. Some were born in New Zealand and many migrated there for a better life, also refuge, what has traditionally been a country free from violence. I guess so many reactions that people have had, I think about it. I wanted to talk particularly first about Jacinda Ardern's leadership. Today she did a speech at Kashmir Secondary College and those students lost two people, 14-year-old Syed Milner and 16-year-old Hamza Mustafa. And a third student from that high school who was 13 um, is recovering from a gunshot wound to his leg. While speaking today, Jacinda told the students that she didn't want them to mention or dwell on the terrorist and to not mention his name. She wanted them to focus all of our reporting on honouring the memory and the actions of the victims taken that day and also on the support and kindness that we can show to the survivors and their families. She came out as well so clearly to say that they were going to be compensated for any loss that they would be they would have their funerals paid for as well. And I think her message is that we will not tolerate and New Zealand, but I think even on a global scale, we will not tolerate or sensationalise this kind of violent extremism as it was live streamed through Facebook. And I I found that amazing about the not mentioning his name, that it has taken the wind out of the sails, I really feel. And I noticed on Channel 9 the other day, they reported her speech saying he will be nameless and they didn't say his name. Mm. And I don't think I've ever seen that before on a media outlet. Mm. And I just thought, and I said to my husband, it's amazing when people go high, Mm. other people have to meet them there. Because if they had then mentioned him, it was like they were taking the lower ground just to Mm. sensationalise it. And I thought, 
that's all you know. Oh, that's leadership. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is, right? And it that's feels what like leadership is. It feels like it's been a long time. Yeah. I mean, the way that she has presented with such empathy, uh, um, but also such strength. Yeah. I mean, coming out so stridently about mm. the gun laws, almost straight away out of the gate in saying they will be changed. Yeah. I mean, it was a semi-automatic weapon, mm. which is legal in New Zealand. But it was an altered one, which is oh. what the um, discussion has been around, that he had the legal parts, apparently, allegedly, you know, mm. allegedly, and he has altered it to make it so that it could have more rounds and be more mm. dangerous. Yeah, well, there you go. Mm. Yeah, so I, I really have so admired the way she's come out in that way, but then also to wear a hijab mm. and the images of her visiting the refugee centres and speaking and hugging and spending time with the families mm. who've lost loved ones, lost children, lost mothers and fathers of young kids as well, as well as older senior teachers just has it's been just I've just I'm speechless I've been Mm. in awe of her Mm. and also you feel like as big-hearted as she is she's tough you know like those high expectations have come straight out of the gate and I really do believe those laws Mm. will be changed Mm. in New Zealand yeah absolutely I mean her leadership has been like the shining light in what has been a horrific mm. situation I mean Mm. she's just you know she's been she's everyone around the world is just praising her Mm. for how she's held herself, her compassion, her strength, Mm. everything. And there's been a lot of talk as well about how she's been displaying very female Mm. uh, characteristics. Yeah, yeah. Jamila Rizvi wrote a really good article about that for the Sydney Morning Herald and about how she's showing empathy and um, the message of togetherness, not hate and all of that. Mm. And they're typically kind of deemed, in quotation, feminine Mm. traits but how actually that's been a sign of strength and that Mm. people are really embracing that, which is... I think maybe perplexing for other people who go, hang on a minute. And also I think her refreshing honesty because you really feel like you're seeing her because her leadership hasn't changed. It's not like this event happened and suddenly she's like, I'm leading with compassion. No, No, her words of compassion and kindness have been there from the very beginning and you've seen her even share her story. She's a new mother Mm. and shared that story so openly Mm. and honestly. It's interesting though because New Zealanders are quite kind of like, well, of course, yeah, she's good. I mean, I'm gushy, (laughs) but they're very like, well, of course, we would expect nothing less from our leaders. And Well, that's because they voted her in as well. That's their expectation. And... Also, there's some messages at the mosque that sums it up that, yeah, that is how New Zealanders react, that, you know, there was cars that said, this is your home and you should have been safe here. And there's this beautiful drawing of a Muslim woman uh, hugging another woman. And also this hatred and ignorance is not welcome here. These were on the cards. And I just thought, wow, it's not anything about the perpetrator. It's Mm. about you should have deserved to be safe here and we're going to make sure Mm. that that's... Exactly. My favourite quote um, from Arden was, we represent, or New Zealand, represents diversity, kindness, compassion, a home for those who share our values, refuge for those who need it, and those values will not and cannot be shaken by this attack. Mm. They are us. Mm. And that, that quote, they are us, just gives me so much hope because I think, yeah, we're all in this together. And and then she will say things like when she's asked in a pref- press conference a tricky question like is this due to the rise of white supremacy she will just say yes and then move on Mm. you know she really is so able to just answer actual questions Mm. and then act in a way that we would hope that our leaders would Mm. and so it comes out so genuinely and and warmly 
With that in mind, because she asked um, for us to honour the victims of the tragedy, I wanted to share some stories that have been coming out from the community themselves because I feel often in all of this we talk about Jacinda Arden, Mm. we'll talk a little bit about Fraser Anning and Egg Boy, but I think sometimes the broader discussion of all of these big events, in all of that it means we lose who the people were that were affected Mm. And the New York Times has a beautiful article about naming the victims. And there's also a wonderful Instagram account by Khaled Badun. And he's a wonderful guy to follow. He's a lawyer and an activist. And he has just shared images and pictures from the social media of the families who wanted their relatives to be remembered. So I wanted to talk about one guy first called Abdul Aziz, who's 48 and he's a father of four sons. He is a survivor of the attack, but he faced down the gunman with mm. just an F-POS machine. Did you get that I heard that when he threw it at, it, oh, at his car. He did, yeah, mm. and smashed through the window. Yeah. And they think he possibly saved so many lives yeah. because mm. he slowed the gunman down. And he was born in Afghanistan but left as a refugee and has lived um, in Australia for 25 years and then was visiting New Zealand. Mm. And his sons were actually in the mosque at the time, like young boys. Mm. I think they were 4 and 11 Mm. and they were calling out to him and he still, you know, he had the the presence of mind and the courage to step out there Mm. and, and... and save a whole lot of people. I just, I don't think I could do that. No, and his, his reaction was amazing as well. Mm. He's sort of like, oh, well, I think anyone will do that. It's like, no. <laughs> no. No, this was really no, ex- exceptional. No, just instant. I don't know, though, if, if your, your kids, be? if my kids are inside, though I'd like to think I'd do it for anybody, but I think if you in that split second went, well, if I don't do anything, I'm probably going to get killed anyway and also I'm the last line of defence, I, I think you probably would. I think you'd underestimate yourself. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You'd like, I guess it's that whole idea of mothers with that um, tiger instinct yeah. or whatever, like being yeah. able to lift cars. I think you would. Yeah, that's true. I have faith in you, Tom. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, you guys would too. We would. We're Wonder Women. But yeah, completely incredible. Mm. Another woman called Hasna Ahmed. Um, she lost her life tragically, but she was amazing. Um, she actually helped protect a whole lot of children mm. from being shot. So she was so busy looking after them. She led a group of children out a side door and through a gate away from the storm of bullets and carnage left behind them. And she also returned inside then to help her wheelchair-bound husband, mm. Farid Ahmed, who was hit by a drunk driver six years ago and left paralysed. Oh so she escorted all these children to safety, went back in because the women and children are in a separate room. Mm. So she went back into the mosque and then um, she saved her husband's life and was killed by a bullet. And he lived and survived. And the interview with him is just so incredible. He says that he has already forgiven the man that has done this. Mm. He said he's obviously got a lot of, you know, problems in his own life and hasn't been able to understand understand himself or how to express his emotions and this is what he's done Mm. but I forgive him Mm. you know and he's crying but the kind of strength Mm. that you see from people in these kind of situations I just think um, you know how to to not be holding anger but instead Mm. be trying to reach out and understand and that's Mm. how you heal right Mm. at the end of the day um and her family wanted her remembered so um I thought it's a good yeah you know there's so many stories like that I mean, I could go on. I think we'll all end up sobbing. I don't know how many more we can all do. Oh, this one, the, the boys, there were two boys who were um, shot from the high school. One, Hamza Mustafa, was 16 um, and he actually called his mother. 
before he mm. was shot. So he was on the phone to her um, and told her what had happened. Mm. And he was apparently such a lovely kid and was so well-loved. Um, there was another wonderful man that we've seen a lot in images called Haji Dawood Nabi, and he ran the Afghan Association in Christchurch. He was 71 and he was shot trying to shield another person, according to his son, Omar Nabi. Mm. So there were so many survivors who saw people reaching out and trying to protect each other mm. and sacrificing themselves. So another guy, um, Musa Vali Suleiman Patel, was 60 and he's an imam, a teacher and a mentor from Fiji. So he was visiting mm. and he was so well loved in the community and just a pillar of, of strength for the community that he came from in Fiji. And so they're really heartbroken. I'll, I'll just mention one more because I know this is a lot. Mm. But I think it's really important because often we don't hear their names. And I think often you hear that number 49 and you it's just a number. Mm. And just as you're saying them now, I'm like, oh, no, that's one plus one plus one plus, you know, it's yeah. all those families and, and that exactly. have been affected as well. And each person, each person has a world of their own mm. and a family of yeah. their own and a mother that's grieving or a father mm. that's grieving or um, a child that has now not got anyone to support them or, yeah. you know, the main bread with them of a family might be gone. So yeah. um, I think it's so important to try and keep that in our minds because mm. going forward and for atrocities all over the world and, and I know um, as someone who's lost a parent, it's not or a good friend, it's it's not almost the immediateness, it's the mm. a year down the track. Mm. And I think Jacinda Ardern has been amazing in saying we will support you mm. not just now but for years because this that kind of support is needed. Mm. One story that really broke my heart was Atta Alian, who is a New Zealand futsal player. He's 33, so he's our age, um, and he has a little young daughter called Aya and it's so heartbreaking. On Facebook um, you can see all these photos of him with her, with, mm. a da- with a bib that says, My Dad Rocks, and he's survived by his wife, Farah. Um, he was also really well-loved and he was a co-founder of a mobile startup app. Mm. So, you know, he's a guy that was born in Kuwait um, and then came to New Zealand and he's from the tech community and they mm. all really loved him. So, you know, there's people from all walks of life mm. that this has affected. Sometimes it's easy to lump everybody into oh, the Muslim community, yeah. mm. you know, yeah. but it's a bit like saying the Catholic community, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's... Especially in a country like Australia where there are a lot of people who aren't... A- a part of one of these religious communities. Mm. It just feels very different. Yes. And, you know, mm. it's kind of like, no, yeah. these are just people. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And just going about their daily mm. life. So yeah. That Instagram account is amazing. I've been, um, yeah, I've been scrolling through and just reading all the stories. And, I mean, mm. it's, it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it is amazing. And I'm so yeah. glad that guy's done that. Mm. Mm. Just it's to lovely. honour people, I think, and mm. their memories and remember that at the heart of it is people who are grieving, but then also the amount of love that's kind of been sort of, you know, thrown and overwhelmed all of mm. them. And the commu- the voices from the community, Lee Sales from the 730 Report, asked an imam who was here visiting, who was supporting the community, mm. does it actually make a difference mm. if people are, you know, s- s- dropping off flowers and sending cards and, you know, all of this love and support that we're mm. throwing their way, does it actually make a difference? And in, in your heart you kind of think, would it? You know, I mean, mm. you've lost someone so important to you. But the imam said absolutely mm. because it makes the Muslim community in Christchurch 
feel that they are not othered mm. and that it's mm. not representative that violent act is not a representation of how we feel. And have yeah. you also seen all the videos of people doing the haka at the oh, yeah. mosque? Like in the just, high schools, I know. It's amazing and it just it does fill your heart up that this was one person that has done this. But, man, there's a lot of good people out there to offset that. The ratio is so tipped in the favour of good. Yeah. And it's funny... Just sort of coincidentally, in um, the sort of the inner northern suburbs of Melbourne, on the weekend there happened to be um, a bunch of open days for mosques. Mm-hmm. It was some kind of I'm not sure if it was sort of a, a festival or there was some kind of planned open day where people could go and talk to people and mm-hmm. learn a bit more about it and all that kind of stuff. But it just happened to fall on the weekend, the day after these mm-hmm. horrifying sort of attacks. And it was um, it was quite beautiful seeing people sharing. I think it made people probably a little more likely to go along and yeah. to talk to people. Just when you talk about that, not feeling othered by it, I think there was just sort of this this real kind of hope and inclusion and just like a really nice, just small community moment. But it was it was quite beautiful just to kind of see it playing out. Mm. Yeah, I watched that report. There was a, a boy that he must have been about 11 who was just saying it It was so lovely to see people coming to his mosque, you know. Yeah. And, and because at the end of the day, I mean, I remember being a kid and going to church and that's just your community. Mm, that's yeah. just where you are. It's, you know, and I think meeting people where they are at and the more we can get to know our neighbours, like we were talking about with community mm. last week, the more we can get to know our neighbours and realise that it's not us and them, it's all of us together, yeah. the better. That actually brings me, I guess, to one thing we've been discussing mm. about how to talk to kids about this because mm. it's so mm. scary. And, I mean, we all have quite young children, so they mm. are quite, well, mine is anyways three, so he's oblivious. How do you think if you had older kids or teenagers, what would you do? I used to find that really hard when I was teaching and there was a big event and particularly if you taught the older years, how do you talk about it? Because kids pick up on so much, even my two-year-old daughter in the car today, that the conversation she's picking up between me and my husband, I'm like, we've got to watch ourselves now. Like she is listening. So the way I always took it was from the kids' cues. I would start the day with, how are you guys feeling? That was pretty major yesterday, whatever the event was. It could have been a bushfire. It could have been, you know, whatever. Um, and getting them to share their fears because often I found with kids they, they're, one, very aware of themselves but also they have a different perception to what is reality and what they're scared of might not actually be what you think they're scared of. Mm. So, yeah, I find that with my, yeah. my three-year-old. I mean, yeah. He's nearly four but, yeah, he'll talk about things and we'll be like, oh, God, he's worried about, you know, this and that and whatever and, and it's not. It's similar, yeah. it's close to it yeah. but it's not. Yeah. It's like in, very easily, easily, you know, yeah. his fears are very easily allayed. Yeah, like in the mosque it might be, not that I'm scared that somebody's going to come into our school to do that, but I'm scared that you're going. Something's going to happen to you when you go to the supermarket, or something. You know, mm. it's kind of similar. Mm. But if you don't find out exactly what they're thinking in their little heads, then you might be hitting the wrong mark, and it's very hard to help them talk through that. And I think the talking and making it a safe space is the primary thing that you need to do for kids in this area and just say whenever you feel like talking about it, we can talk about it. But then also remembering that, you know, their age and that they don't need to see all the images, they don't need to hear the grisly details of it because that's, I think, our role as adults to protect them from that. But you not talking about it 
is actually going to make it worse for them. Yeah, absolutely. I remember um, you recommended, or oh, I think I think we were talking about a book called Whole Brain, the <laughs> yes, Whole Brain, the Child. Whole Brain Child, which is amazing. Yes. It is the best book, which I recommend if you are a parent and you are struggling with tantrums, with emotions, with anything that comes with being a parent. <laughs> The Whole Brain Child by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson is incredible. It's um, a psychological look at how the brain is formed and how we as parents can use strategies to help children um, use their left and right brain, but also what's the top and the bottom brain. Amazing. So I need that. It's children incredible. of all ages. Children of all ages. It's all about what language do you use and, you know, little things like children can have two kinds of tantrum. This is a bit of a sideway, but just so you know, you know, what the deal is, but um, children can have two types of types of tantrum, one where they just lose their mind mm-hmm. and in that you've got to connect with them and be emotional and hug them and then there's other ones where they're kind of being a little bit manipulative and in mm-hmm. those ones you've got to be able to negotiate with them, have a really yeah. hard line. But it just helps you understand the way kids' brains work and how to harness that to make the mm-hmm. best the best of yeah. it. It's amazing. And I really actually thought some of it can be applied to adults and I thought Absolutely. about something like the trauma of this event mm. in Christchurch. They say that if children are repeating a story over and mm. over and over, it's not good to ignore them mm. because actually what they're doing is trying to process and understand mm. it. And I think people do that too and yeah. we mm. need to do that and we need to talk about it mm. until we've kind of digested it mm. in a way and put it into a context. Yeah. And so I think the more we can talk about this kind of stuff in a respectful way, yeah. I think that's why human beings are quite drawn to all the news reports yeah. Yeah. and all of the things that we're reading. I mean, I know me, I've been reading a lot of reports on this story because I think, and then wanting to talk about it mm. because I think that enables you to cope. Mm. And so it's the same with children. Yeah, right? but... Uh, in the book, what they talk about with these stories is that stories can be a really fantastic way to help children overcome things. So often they said children get stuck in a loop. Like if they get hurt, they go, I fell down and I got hurt and my knee was bleeding. And, and that's when they kind of can build anxiety around that and they never want to go running again or they never want to ride that bike again. And what they say is that you have to finish the story for them. So they go, I fell and I got my knees all bleeding and you say yes but then remember that mummy came and I gave you a cuddle and then we wiped all the blood away and we put a band-aid on and then you got back on your bike so it's helping them get over that speed hump of that traumatic event whatever that may have been and then say yes but then remember what happened next Mm. and I think that's really powerful too. Isn't that what Jacinda Arden's doing? Absolutely she's helping everyone move not move on because you know obviously we're still in the moment but to look for that completion and how can we build from this exactly. and not get stuck on that feedback loop to create yeah. anxiety. Exactly, and where the hope is mm. and the hope is in building up each other. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a really great BTN behind the news um, YouTube video that they've done, which is a great channel for kids Brilliant. just about like local topic or global topics. Mm. Um, but this one that they've done is called Understanding the Christchurch Terror Attack and it's for kids particularly. So it doesn't go into any gruesome details. Mm. It's very clear about about 
a little bit about what happened and then it looks at the global reactions. It, it has speeches from Jacinda Ardern and mm. then it also looks at all the wonderful things people have done to commemorate, including surfers doing a commemoration out in the water and, mm. and it has also children being interviewed and talking about how they found it really scary mm. but then also how wonderful it is to all come together and sharing stories at the Haka. So mm. I highly recommend BTN. Mm. I didn't realise that was still going. I remember watching that in primary school. Oh, it is the best yeah. Friday afternoon teaching tool. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is, exactly. So lastly, I guess, on this topic before we move on, I just wanted to mention that it was live streamed on Facebook, mm. which is a really scary thing. It was removed, but 1.5 million <gasps> downloads happened <sighs> before that within the first 24 hours of the shooting. It just blows my mind. I know. And also the ABC um, was saying that news.com.au posted six minutes of the raw video. So that's an Australian media Mm. outlet, which just floors me. Yeah, I was reading all these. I kept seeing all these headlines pop up of like, this is why you shouldn't watch the video. And I'm like... Of course not. Yeah. Who's, Who's watching, watching it? Who that? are these 1.5 million people who are well, watching it? it? You know, it was on Facebook for 17 minutes mm. in its entirety oh before the platform did anything, which I also find really ridiculous when within a millisecond they can take down a woman breastfeeding yeah. in a video. Yeah. Yeah. And they can, they can you know, within a millisecond know whether you're on maternity leave and looking <laughs> at baby clothes. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Um, so that is worrisome to me. Mm. I mean, we actually, I shared this with you guys, we had um, a circle of friends in these WhatsApp groups. You have mm. like so many WhatsApp <laughs> groups, but someone in one of the WhatsApp groups shared the video. Mm. And, I mean, that just absolutely blows my mind that, A, you would find that and then, B, you would share it. But obviously mm. it's being shared all over the internet. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a point of... Um, no return, hopefully, for these outlets that, you know, you do have a responsibility. You are not just a, you know, neutral playing ground. You are a publisher. And if The Age or, you know, The New York Times or something like that posted that, they would be held responsible. Mm. You are a publisher as well. Yeah. So you also need to have responsibility. Correct, exactly. And I think Jacinda Ardern's been very clear about yes. that, yeah, that Facebook is a publisher yeah. and that they need to stand up. Yeah. And yep. step up because they can't just absolve themselves of responsibility. Yep. <sighs> okay, <laughs> move on. <laughs> Need a drink? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we also wanted to, we, we were discussing whether, you know, it's okay to talk about other things that are a little bit more frivolous or a little bit more lighthearted after something that has so obviously affected so many other people. But as we keep saying, we feel there are so many good things and good people in the world and it's part of being alive to also look at the good things and to embrace things that are going on. So we also decided that, no, we can talk about some other things that we are also finding interesting and what's on our mind. So something that's been popping up on my feed a lot this week, and I don't know if it's yours, is Lindy West. And I hadn't really heard of her before, but she popped up on a few different things, on a blog, on an Instagram, on a this, on a that. And I kind of went, who is this person? And so I started to read this article in The Cut, which I don't know if you guys read, but it's fantastic. And I found out a little bit more about her and why she's popping up everywhere at the moment. She's a 37-year-old writer and she's the co-creator of Shrill, which is a new show on Hulu. 
that's why she's popping up. But what's interesting about this is it's a story about a young woman who's navigating dating, work and family in Portland. And Elizabeth Banks is the executive producer and A.D. Bryant from SNL and Girls is um, the star. So I follow A.D. Bryant, so that's also why it was all popping up and I love her too. So it's Who based, Girls? She was uh, Shoshana's boss when oh, right, right, right. she yeah. went to Japan yeah. and all that. She was gorgeous in it. She yeah. was just really sweet. And um, so it's based on Lindy's memoir of the same name. And she's been a writer, a writer for Jezebel, GQ, The New York Times, Guardian, The Stranger. And she kind of came to fame with a scathing article on Sex and City 2 called Burkers and Birkins. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is harsh (laughs) if you want a bit of a giggle and she she says this in the cut article um when she's interviewed she she says she's changed a bit now but she used to be the writer that was so scathing it was funny Mm -hmm. and it is it is yeah it gives you a giggle but it gives you a giggle behind your hand like I shouldn't be laughing at this and the subtitle for that article was I watched 146 minutes of Sex and the City 2 and all I got was this religious fundamentalism (laughs) So that tells you where she's going with it. Yeah. The biggest thing about Lindy West is that she has labelled herself fat and she's owning that word and that's, you know, a lot of what her writing is about is being quite overweight. She's um, said that she's written an article called Hello, I'm Fat and she's 263 pounds or 120 kilos and a lot of it is about owning that word because she said that a lot of people used to use it to hurt her and if she goes... Yeah, I use it as a descriptor and I am. Then it totally takes the wind out of their sails. And mm. um, so I, I, the reason I put this up was I just, as I started to kind of really read into her, read into her past articles and what's happened with her in her life, she just really fascinated me. And I just wanted kind of your opinions on it. Yeah, really? I, I've sort of followed because she is the author of a book, Shrill. Too. Yes, Shrill's yeah, yeah. the book the first. Memoir, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I have read some of her work. Oh, She's very stridently feminist she is as well. Too, yeah, hugely feminist. Um, and the whole the fat acceptance movement mm. that she really voices. She's very, very opinionated, mm. and I love a lot of her opinions. And then some of them are even quite extreme feminism, mm. I would say too. So. I just I love the idea that there's just lots of diverse women talking yeah. and saying things and making things and mm. and I think the rise of Netflix and yeah. places like streaming services like Stan have allowed more diverse voices out there to create content yeah. and great interesting mm. funny content from different people. Mm. Yeah, I agree. There was I I hadn't heard of her and mm. then read that article and did some googling and read some other things mm. she said and, and you she's know intriguing. She's, she is and as you said, you know, she's sort of changed her tone a little bit with yeah. some things. There's some things that she sort of suggests that she that you know slightly regretful that they're that are out there forever and all the rest of it but you know I'm with you Claire I'm just like I'm sort of happy that there's just this diverse thought and diverse looking people yeah. and you know I remember going to see a movie when I was in high school and it was a Bollywood movie called Bride and Prejudice oh I remember and had, yeah it had Ashwari Rai in it who's the most beautiful woman oh in the entire God. world but I remember watching it and being like this is the first time on a cinema screen I have ever seen a woman mm. who's like not like the most stick thin yeah. person you've ever seen. And yeah. like she's still ridiculously skinny. She's mm-hmm. amazingly beautiful. Like mm-hmm. she is the perfect woman physically, you know, in that stereotypical perfect mm-hmm. way. But I remember that real powerful feeling of like, oh my God, this is so different. Those like, women can do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, and this was like in the 90s as well. So yeah. even I was just like, oh, my goodness, it's an Indian woman on the sta- <laughs> yeah. on a big yeah. screen, you know, like just, just that stuff like that was it wasn't doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so I'm just all about diversity on the screen, all about funny women and people yeah. who are just a little bit apologetic about who they are as well. I quite like Unapologetic. That. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you need to apologise for everything. Yeah. yeah, correct. You know what I mean. I'm glad you both knew where I was going with that one. Yeah, yeah. What I found interesting doing a bit more Googling, she also showed up on my favourite blog, Cup of Joe, and they do this um, beauty uniform. So they kind of go through what's your beauty routine and all that. And it's always fascinating what products people use and the way they perceive themselves. And she said, they said, oh, you know, we love your look. We kind of see you as very old Hollywood. And she said, that's so funny. That's not actually my look. That's just what stylists do mm. to fat women to make us look more feminine. And she said that she, fat, this is a quote from her, fat women don't really get to be glamorously androgynous. And this is kind of all um, got me thinking about, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And they do often get styled as very Hollywood, like yeah. we're feminine. But yeah, that would be really difficult. And she also said it's really difficult to find good clothes and good dresses. And she said if there's a dress that she loves online on a woman who's bigger, she can almost always tell where it's from because there's such a limited range. Yes. And how do you express your individuality when you have to go to the same six stores and get the same six clothes? I totally agree. I was because, you know, the average Australian woman is a size 12 to 14, right? Mm. But in a lot of stores, like, for instance, Cook Eye Mm. and a lot of online, I mean, online stores are much better, Mm. but they often just go up to a 12 Mm. and maybe a 14 and that's it. Once you get above a 12 or 14, it gets very dire very Mm. quickly. I mean, it's the same with maternity clothes. Don't even get me started. (laughs) and the thing, the thing that's nice about people like Rebel Wilson and Lena Dunham and all the rest of it, without getting like in, you know too specific and you know mm. weird about people's size and stuff, is that often there's you know women who are quite a bit larger, and then there's really skinny women. There's no one that's just yeah. kind of in between. Yeah, like that looks like us. You know, there's just a real lack of like a sort of a size twelve person yeah. on screen. You know, yeah. and like yeah. that's the thing. The nice thing about like seeing Lena Dunham and mm. and Rebel Wilson and stuff is like they're not then the, you know they're sort of that kind of in between, you they're, know? They're just and the normal, normal average woman. Average of course, woman. everyone looks bigger on screen, especially when you cast against people who are yeah. tiny. Because you know when you see people from TV or movies in real life, mm. and it's just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. they're short, they're tight, they're, they're yeah. skinny, they're just like, they're minute, you know. When, and when they're on screen, they just kind of look normal because mm. that's what we're used to seeing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I know I'm pretty sure Amy's got Hulu, so I might be counting camping out there for the next few days. And good idea. Definitely <laughs> not just getting her login details and doing it from home. Yeah, totally <laughs> not. All right. So next we have a recommendation from Cell. Don't want to brag, guys. I did some research again. Woo-hoo! Oh yeah, I've got five dot points. <laughs> 
Um, my recommendation this week is Who the Hell is Hamish, which is a podcast. It's done by The Australian, who are the same group who did uh, – well, the same publication who did The Teacher's Pet, um, which obviously went gangbusters last year mm. and ended in the arrest of the – um, perpetrator. Perpetrator, mm. yeah, I guess. Well, alleged. 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 Um, so this one is Who the Hell is Hamish? It's about a guy called Hamish Watson who um, swindled tens of millions of dollars out of people, um, sort of kind of like a Ponzi scheme where you, where you sort of get money from some people and then you give other people a bit of it so that they think they're getting dividends from this amazing investment and the money's not going anywhere. It's just going into his mm. pockets or his bank accounts. Um, so he has been arrested. That happened in the first episode, so I'm not really giving much away <laughs> and he's due to be um, sentenced this year. Um, and his sort of uh, crimes go back to the 90s. So, And he was in the paper. Like, do you remember when Lisa Ho got caught up yeah. with – so it's this This mm. is the guy, right? Oh, right. So I, when they said Lisa that, Lisa Ho, the fashion designer, Lisa yeah, Ho, the Australian up, and designer, and she basically lost all her money. She lost right. a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, she got some of it back, yeah. Um, but yeah, lost a lot of it. And I mean, this podcast is kind of awful to listen to because you are listening to people who have lost their life yeah. savings mm. and like people who, like, there was one reference we haven't. I don't think they've come back to it because I'm I'm on about episode five. I think it's being released week mm. by week, so the series hasn't finished yet. But yeah, they sort of reference one couple who had lost their entire life savings. They had a disabled child. They have a disabled child, so they were, you know, kind of stockpiling money so that that child could be cared oh for when, you know, when they're and no longer around. Oh, absolutely, then... all of that. It's just horrifying. Yeah. Like it's so, you know, it's and it's it's hard to listen to, and you know, a lot of people are. You know, they're sort of wealthy people who are making investments and all the rest of it, but it's still people who have worked really hard who mm. have just lost all their money. Like, because mm. I was reading some of the podcast um, comments, like mm. some of the um, reviews, and you know, a few people were kind of making those references. Mm. I was like, just because these people were wealthy to start with, it doesn't mean that yeah, they no. still don't need to have and, their money yeah. taken and away. This is actually kind of my problem. I am starting to get really worried about how much we're listening to true crime and true stories about people's lives that are absolutely gut-wrenchingly devastating mm-hmm. and how much we're sensationalising it and it becomes, and I guess it's human nature, we mm-hmm. always love gossip, we always love to know details of people's lives. Mm-hmm. But I just worry, I mean, I'll probably listen and love it, I'm not saying I won't, but it just... <laughs> I don't know. What do you think oh, about that? I was totally on the same track because I found a Reddit thread about it and people were discussing it and yeah. saying, you know, oh, I'm resisting the urge to Google because I want to hear about it unfolding. And then other people were going, oh, have you listened to Swindled, which is about white-collar crime? And someone said, oh, if you like this, you'll love Over My Dead Body, which is about oh, two attorneys who fall in love and it ends up in murder. Oh, God. And I yeah. had the same thought. I just went, why are we list like, we're listening to this, and I get hooked in too. I love Dirty John, and this. Well, I think this this is probably doing quite well off Dirty John yes. because it's a similar, and it's made vibe. me go and never go on a dating site. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My God, yeah, it does make you and and don't invest with anyone who. But I mean, the thing is, this guy, like, he was he was quite, um, you know, he was giving people like. I mean, look, obviously I don't know anything about shares when I say this. He's giving people reports and things that looked really legitimate. Paper and yeah, spreadsheets. Yeah, all of that. So he was giving people all this information that made it look like he was, mm. like it wasn't just like a matter of, okay, give us a million bucks. Mm. Yeah, you'll be right kind yeah. of thing. Like he sort of did it all properly. But I know what you mean. And there's also, there, there is some problematic stuff in this podcast as well that I find with um, without 
giving too much away, even though that's even weird saying it in this context. But, I mean, there is some stuff around sort of an underage relationship that mm. I don't think has been dealt with very well. Mm. And I don't, like I said, I'm only a couple of episodes in, so I don't know if that all comes to a head. Mm. But that's, I think that's really problematic and yeah. something that I don't like about it. Um, but I, I don't know if that's going to come to a head later on. I think the thing about all these podcasts that why people get really hooked is you're looking for clues for how for that not to happen to you. Yes. How do you not get duped? How do you not, you know, get affected Mm. by these people who might be out there? And you're looking for clues like, oh, well, he said this. I Okay, if somebody ever said that to me, I know that they're dodgy or I know that this is going to happen. it's like what we were saying before about that human nature as well. You're kind of drawn to the, you know. Yeah, Yeah, the the extreme stuff. And I I guess, yeah, it links into why people would watch that video. Mm. I mean, I know primarily male people too, male mm. people, <laughs> men often, you know, and are watching that kind of stuff. And in a way you think, is it so that they can understand in case it happens mm. somewhere else? Are they prepared? Do mm. they need to know? Do we need to be prepared? I guess it's why women listen to a lot of true crime. Yeah. Like do we just need to be having as much information as we can? But unfortunately in a way now, how much information is too much information? Yeah. I don't know if our human brains are designed for this much level of mm, detail I and agree. information. I'm still going to listen. <laughs> Me too. It's well worth it. <laughs> okay, so we're all in. <laughs> so, also, speaking of podcasts, on a much lighter note... I know I seem to say this every week, but I've been listening to Armchair Experts with <laughs> Doug Shepherd, but this one... I seriously, I feel I need a public service announcement that everybody needs to listen to this John Gottman interview with Dak Shepherd because it might save your marriage. There, I'm just putting it out there. Who okay. is John Gottman? That is a good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so John Gottman is a psychologist who's best known for identifying the four horsemen of the apocalypse for marriage. So I don't know if you've ever heard this. I heard this a few years ago and it just made so much sense to me, they are contempt, criticism, defensiveness and stonewalling. Okay, so he came about these because he studied 30 couples. What about fuck wittery? (laughs) (laughs) Where does that come in? (laughs) What about put the toilet seat downery? (laughs) Change the roll on the toilet paper roll. Change the roll. I guess it's how you deal with your emotions when you're going through that. But he studied 30 couples and wanted to identify patterns in relationships and they observed them having a one-hour interaction and he said, you know, just chat about your day and that kind of thing. And then they said, okay, chat about a problem that you've really had trouble resolving. They were able to predict with 90% certainty who would divorce or stay together and how happy they would be after three years, so three years later. So they would get them all back in and they could say, you're going to divorce, you're going to divorce, you're going to divorce, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. By the way, they interacted. And it was these four things that, you know, if you spoke to somebody, your partner with contempt, so um, they say that contempt is when you take a higher ground, like, mm. ugh, he's such an idiot or whatever, that's contempt. Criticism, when you show defensiveness, so if your partner tells you something and you immediately go, no, I didn't, you did this and, and yours is worse, or stonewalling where you just shut it down and you go, no, I'm not going to engage in this at all. So if you have those markers they're the ones that um, will impact you later on. But I'm what's horrified am- thinking about how many of these I <laughs> oh, see, but I'm like, oh, it's, it's amazing. And it really does change the way how you talk 
to not just your partner but people around mm-hmm. you and go, oh, was that a really defensive response? Maybe it was. Maybe I've got to change the way I'm speaking. But what I also loved about this podcast was they go on to um, talking about couples who have babies and they said two-thirds of the couples um, in the first few years of children that they studied, this is a different study, their relationship satisfaction went down. Two thirds. That doesn't surprise me at all. No, it doesn't. But what about that one third? That's what I want. Oh, like, yeah. like, how? Who are they? How could you possibly? They are my friends who came over the other day who live in Hong Kong who have a nanny full time. I haven't told you this is such a sidetrack. Yeah, they have a nanny, and I asked her how she's going, and she like, as in the mum, and she's like, oh, I'm getting seven hours sleep. I'm fine because oh the nanny the just dream. gets up all night. Oh, oh my god, that is good. Well, if you don't have a, a nanny, nanny in Hong Kong. <laughs> Maybe, the, yeah, some people have those magic babies that sleep through the night really yeah, early. Yeah, that might also be. But what they found in studying them was that these couples actually started differently just a few months after their wedding and they had different babies because of it. So they said, he said that he found that the men were kinder and they were less contemptuous and more respectful when their wife was pregnant. So they had an easier time when their wife was being pregnant. Like they loved it. They weren't there going, oh, my God, she's the size of the house and she's mm. naggy. She's, they're like, no, this is awesome and she looks amazing and I'm so excited and all of that. And they also found that if conflict in the last trimester was kinder and respectful, the baby was more relaxed and their physiology was different, which just you kind of inherently go, well, yeah, if you're not stressed, you're going to have a pretty calm baby. But to have evidence for that just blew my mind. Mm, I have been thinking about that for so long. Yeah. Because I was so stressed with my first or Mm. my one (laughs) child and he is divine but he's also quite a stress head as a kid and, and can be quite anxious about yeah. things and I, I have thought for so long and people have called me crazy and said mm. no it's Claire don't be ridiculous it's not mm. you it's just whoever you get but I think we, there's so much we don't understand well he's, he know? said there's been a study where they've played music that the mother hates in their ears while they're pregnant and the baby can't hear the music at all the baby's um, cortisol levels spike so they get stressed because the mother is hating it so much it's transferring to the baby, which just is amazing. So if you want any tips, he's just the loveliest interviewee and it's just it's about two hours, so it is a you yeah. know, it's a couple of trips around yeah, yeah. the block. <laughs> Driving you <laughs> to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But there's some really good tips that and strategies. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just this magical thing like, oh, well, they just worked out because yeah. they're great people. No, they're probably employing strategies for interacting with each other as a couple. Yeah, because my kids have really different personalities mm. as well. And I'm the same with my first. I was super stressed when I was pregnant and didn't really enjoy my pregnancy. And when I had my second, because I always knew that I didn't want to have more than two, mm. I really made a conscious effort. I mean, I think I just enjoyed it more because I was just less stressed because it was my mm. second. But also, like, as a, when he was a baby, I just made a really conscious effort to enjoy my mat leave, to enjoy newborn stage because mm. I was like, this is the last time it's happening for me. So I really made that. And But he does have such a different personality to my older one. Mm. But, I mean, that, that was well, – I knew that from the first week. Like, mm. before I even left the hospital, I knew he had a different personality. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, be interesting yeah. to see how much I caused that. 
Yeah, <laughs> correct. Exactly. And how much is just nature know, versus nature. nature. And, of nature. course, there's a whole yeah. lot of things that get impacted mm. on that and, you know, the first years of life and, you know, stability and all of that kind of thing. So it's not just your mother's fault. No, there's obviously, obviously lots of factors. Yes. But it is well worth thinking about just relaxing, right? Yeah. Just in our lives in general. <laughs> Just relax. Just chill, everyone. Just chill. Okay. Okay. So this has been The Millennial Divide. If you like what you've heard, you can listen for free in Apple Podcasts. I tried to do it like Amy does it. Do I sound the same? (laughs) Correct. You you sound your own. You're your own kind of girl. I've always been a second child trying to follow in her footsteps. But much more relaxed. (laughs) Thanks to your mum. Correct. mum. So you can subscribe for free in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also rate, review or leave us a comment and we'd love to hear from you. So don't forget to follow us and you can also email us at themillennialdivide at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.